0: Hello and welcome to Mr. President from OTRGold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors.
1: Never suffer a thought to be harbored in your mind which you would not avow openly. When tempted to do anything in secret, ask yourself if you would do it in public. If you would not, be sure it is wrong. <laughs>
0: Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. (laughs) Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are the little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House, dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President.
2: Today's Mr. President story will begin in just a moment. But first, see if you can identify the former leaders of our country. For instance, do you know the name of the president whose niece turned Washington topsy-turvy by riding horseback through the White House flower beds? And can you identify the president who kept his entire staff from resigning when he proved that a ghost in the White House was not real? If you didn't score so well on those two questions, our Mr. President show, through its fascinating human interest stories, will reveal many more behind-the-scenes episodes in the lives of our past chief executives. And Mr. President also enlightens the listener about America's crises and conflicts in a manner calculated to build faith in America. It is true biography in its most revealing form built around the men who have filled America's highest office. Now listen to today's drama and see if you can name the president upon whom today's episode is based. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold.
1: It was a gay evening in the White House and the president wandered from one room to another enjoying the dances and the bright, chattering voices. Later on, I'll tell you which president it was. One of his close friends said to him It's a wonderful party, Mr. President.
3: I don't think I've ever seen people enjoy themselves more.
1: Well, I don't often give a party, but when I do, I like to give a good one. Good
4: evening, Jim, Mr. President. Oh, good, good evening, evening
1: Mr. Vice President. Are you enjoying the party? Very
4: much, sir. I find the wine, the food, the ladies all delightful, peacefully eyes. I wonder if I might have a word with you, sir, in private. I'll go see how my wife is getting on. Oh, I didn't mean that for you, Jim. I just meant away from all this other.
1: Well, let's go into the library.
3: Isn't the silence beautiful? Personally, I'll take a quiet library and a fire like that over any party.
4: You miss a lot that way, Jim.
3: Yes, a lot of splitting heads in the morning. (laughs) Well, sit down and make yourself comfortable.
4: Mr. President, I wanted to speak to you about my position here in Washington. Oh? As you know, I came very close to sitting in your chair.
1: Close? Let's be honest. It took 35 ballots in the House of Representatives for me to win the presidency over you. And uh, do you know something? I was pretty sure you'd win it, not me.
4: I'm sure the best man won. But uh, naturally, I want a chance to retrieve my political fortune. No, I can't blame you for that. Sir, do you consider me a Democrat? Yes, I do. And you, Jim? I think so. You sound as if you were doubtful. And you've had so much support from the Federalists, it's hard to tell. Well, I consider myself a Democrat. And, Mr. President, I intend to run for the governorship in New York. I would like to know if I may count on your support and the support of the Democratic Party.
1: I can't speak for the party. In your case, the members of the party must vote as they choose... In fact, the only uh, thing I can say to you of any positive nature is that if the Federalists support you at all, then the Democrats should certainly vote against you. You can't walk down the middle of the road and expect the support of both parties. You've got
4: to choose your party and stay with it. I didn't come here for a lesson in politics. I think I understand them as well as you, sir. You forget that I was responsible for the Democratic Party's victory in the last election. I organized the Tammany Society, which played a large part in carrying you into the White House.
1: It almost carried you in. And but for the present Secretary of the Treasury, it would have.
4: I have no quarrel with you about that election. It was always intended that you should be president, I vice president. The fact that I got so many votes that the House had to decide who was to be president was as much of a surprise to me as anyone else. But don't infer that I don't know my politics, sir, because I can play a game of politics the like of which has never been seen in this country.
1: Are you threatening me?
4: No, I am warning.
1: I accept your warning. Now accept a warning from me in return, and believe me, I say this in the spirit of complete friendship. In my opinion, you have the makings of a great statesman and a great leader if you use your capabilities shrewdly and wisely. But you lack patience. You're hot-headed, too quick to anger, too quick to action. And until you are able to govern yourself, you're never going to be able to govern anyone else. You have a great future. And the only one who will ever jeopardize that future is you yourself. Be warned. For if ever a man needs to be warned against
4: himself, it is you. Good night, Mr. President. Now, don't take it like that.
1: I can't tell you how much genuine respect
4: and liking I have for you. I am sure it will be a great relief to you not to have me in the office of Vice President during the next term. Good night, Mr. President.
1: Good night. Oh, well, well. I don't know why you bother with him at all. Uh, James, do you know I completely forgot that you were in here?
3: Why didn't you just tell him to get out?
1: Because he's worth time and work. He has a great deal to give. If he'll only learn how to give it, this country needs the brilliance of men like him. If you feel that way, why didn 't you give him the support he asked for in running for governor because i can 't trust him now, not now, not yet. When I can trust him he 'll get every bit of support I can put behind him. But in the meantime, Jim, in the meantime we 've got to watch out for him. <laughs>
5: You sent for me, Mr. President?
1: Uh, Yes, Alex. I wanted to talk to you about the campaigns in New York State for the office of governor. Yes, sir. Naturally, since the former vice president is running for the office, I've been watching the electioneering pretty closely, and I wanted to discuss the situation with you. No one knows that I've sent for you, and I wish this meeting kept completely confidential.
5: I understand, sir.
1: Uh, This is uh, somewhat difficult for me because... As you know, it isn't my policy to interfere in matters such as this, but I I do feel that your attacks on the former vice president are pretty severe. And, of course, being able to publish them in your father-in-law's paper gives you quite an advantage. Sir,
5: I consider everything I have said about the former vice president completely justifiable.
1: There has always been bad blood between you, and I'm not sure you're being completely
5: fair. I will do anything I can at any time to keep that gentleman out of public office. I consider him a man of highly dangerous ambitions.
1: I'm afraid we're all men of ambition, Alex, even you. And he is doubly dangerous. Why, he wants to be president. Oh, don't you? Doesn't almost every politician? Well, you don't realize
5: so. Right now, there are politicians in New York who are plotting to lead a group of states in seceding from the Union and setting up a new government with him at the head of it.
1: Imagine that.
5: Mr. President, think what that would mean.
1: Alex, well, if I went around letting myself be frightened by every boogeyman in the country, I'd never have a night's sleep. Besides, I know all about this plot. And, uh, well, you've omitted part of it. What have I omitted? That these same gentlemen who would like to lead a secession from the Union plan to put both you and the former vice president in power. What? Well, <laughs> you didn't mention that. Well, I,
5: uh, I didn't mention it because that part of the plot is ridiculous. I'm sure you are well aware of the extent of my loyalty, Mr. President. The
1: other gentleman's participation may be just as non-existent as yours.
5: I can't believe that.
1: I find myself forced to believe it, Alex, because I must be fair, as fair to one of you as the other.
5: Why, you let him swindle you right out of the whole country. Don't
1: you think it for a moment. I don't happen to believe he wants to. And even if he did, Alex... You have no idea how many conspiracies against the government I have watched flame and sputter out. There is no one less powerful in America than a traitor. Because we're a people who believe in liberty and in justice. And any man who starts to talk treason will end up strangling on it. We believe in self-government. And by all that's holy, no one's ever going to take it away from us.
5: Well, that's, that's quite true, sir. But as far as the former vice president is concerned... I can see there's no use discussing the election with you anymore.
1: I don't say that you shouldn't campaign against a candidate if you don't believe he's the man for the office. But I do think that the attacks you have launched on his character are going to be pretty hard for him to stomach, particularly if you cost him the election. Remember, you already cost him the office of president. If you hadn't campaigned to the extent you did against him, he would be in the White House now, not me. Now you stand a pretty fair chance of keeping him from being governor. I must follow the course in which I believe. All right, Alex, all right. Then there's nothing more I can say to you. Mr.
3: President, Mr. President, Yes, what is it, James? The election returns from New York State. The vice president has been defeated. Oh, then Alex has
1: won. There will be trouble over this, Jim. There will be trouble...
3: Ten faces, and on my signal, they will fire. Are you ready, gentlemen? Ready? Ready. Present!
1: And so, Alex is dead.
4: It was a fair fight, Mr. President. It was the only course I could, with honor, pursue. You must be aware of the things he was printing about me. I wrote him several times, asking him to stop. But it was no use.
1: His death is a great loss to the nation. They're not taking it lightly.
4: I know. I am suddenly looked upon in many quarters as little better than a murderer. And yet, dueling has always been an accepted way for men of honor to settle their differences.
1: You have my deepest sympathy. Even more of that sympathy than the dead man has.
4: Why do you say that?
1: Because I'm afraid you both died with those two shots you fired at with And to die and to sleep is easier than to die and to go on living.
4: Die? I have not died. You said yourself that I would be a leader of this nation.
1: I said you had the capabilities. But a powerful man is dead now. And his body lies between those words of mine and you.
4: Honor, I'll come back stronger than I ever was. I'll be hanged if a man who did his best to ruin me in life and failed is going to ruin me in death. Well, I wish
1: to tell you something... I respected that man as an adversary and loved him as a friend. Whatever his personal faults, he was of great worth as a man and as a leader
4: of men. And I am not.
1: Not yet. Not yet.
4: Mr. President, I lost my fortune, my home, everything in this last campaign. But I tell you, I will still rise to power in this land. You don't think I can, but I'll prove you wrong.
1: Strangely enough, my friend, I do still believe in you. And I hope someday to see that belief justified. Goodbye, sir. Goodbye. And what is the nature of your business with me this time, General Eaton? Well,
6: Mr. President, as you know, you and I have had our differences. We haven't been on very friendly terms recently. While well, my call today doesn't alter our personal differences any. I still am loyal enough to my country to come to her service. Even if it means I have to talk
1: to you. Oh, thank you, General Eaton. That's very good of you.
6: I have come to tell you about a plot of treason.
1: Oh, not another one.
6: This is not just another one. This one is a real threat. I've been taken into the confidence of the conspirators. I hasten to them only so that I might come to you with my information. I
1: understand, General.
6: They plan to seize you and the Speaker of the House. It will then take over the public funds, the money in the banks, and the arsenal.
1: Oh, and what do they think the soldiers of the United States Army will be doing?
6: Mr. President, believe me, they have every detail of the plan worked out. They're working through General Wilkinson.
1: Oh. Well, the General's loyalty has been under question at various times. Who... who heads this plan?
6: The former Vice President of the United States. What? Yes, sir. Furthermore, he's been trying to get the ministers of England and of Spain to pledge their aid. This is incredible. If you don't do something, sir, the western states are liable to leave the don't Union. Don't get
1: excited, General. Don't get excited. You, man. You'll
6: send out a warrant for his arrest immediately, won't you, Mr. No, President?
1: No, no. I'm going to start an investigation. Treason is a terrible word to pin to any man, General Eaton. And this is a man who's had many tragedies already. I'll be very sure of what I'm doing before I'll condemn him. If I had my way, I'd ride out right now and shoot him down. I'd rather save the bullet and the man, General Eaton.
6: But the safety of the nation demands... The safety of
1: the nation? The nation is safe, General Eaton? The man is still lost. But he will betray his country. He will betray you. If he betrays anyone, it will only be himself. Oh, I shall start an investigation and I shall pray that your fears and my worries are groundless. I don't want to find a traitor General Eden. I want to find a man.
0: In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
2: Today, our strength and leadership in world affairs depend upon continuing teamwork among Americans of different races, creeds, and national backgrounds. When racial and religious antagonisms arise, this teamwork is destroyed and our nation is weakened. Racial and religious tension in America also provides ammunition for hostile propaganda, enabling other countries to claim that for all its economic and military power, America is internally weak. Hatred and strife among Americans are offered as proof that democracy has failed and that freedom cannot be made to work in the modern world. In contrast, an American that demonstrates that men of different races, religions, and national origins can be united in freedom provides an example to other nations. So refuse to listen to or spread stories which discredit members of any race or religion. Be a good citizen. Help make a united America. And now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Mr. <laughs> President.
1: You may have guessed by now which president this was. Later on, I'll tell you, of course. The reports began to come back to the president, and he studied them carefully, weighing them in his mind. Meanwhile, the papers were full of the activities of the former vice president in the West. Finally, one day, John Randolph rose in the House with a resolution calling on the president for a report on the conspiracy. And more and more visitors came to the president's office from the West.
4: My name's Morgan, Mr. President. Colonel George Morgan from Cannonsburg, the former vice president, stayed with us one night a short while back. And we didn't care much for the way he talked.
1: Well, what did he say?
4: Well, sir, for one thing, he said that with 200 men, he could drive Congress and you into the Potomac.
1: He probably could, if we didn't have anyone to help push him back. And he said the
5: East was kept going at the expense of the West. He said we were paying heavy
4: taxes for the benefit of another part of the country. And he said the Union would never hold together.
1: Did he say he was going to separate the Union?
4: Well, that was the impression I got.
1: I see. All right, Mr. Morgan, thank you for your information.
4: Mr. President, the dispatches you've just read are from General Wilkinson. The General has authorized me to answer any questions in his behalf. He wishes me to specifically state that he was approached and asked to help in a plan to separate the Western States from the Union.
1: I see well, General Wilkinson certainly has turned cold completely, hasn't he? He must really believe the ship is sinking. I beg your pardon, sir. Oh, nothing, nothing. Uh, well, the details of this dispatch seem to completely remove any possible remaining shadow of a doubt. I have no further choice. Tell General Wilkinson to concentrate his forces for the protection of New Orleans. I will issue a proclamation immediately ordering the arrest of the former vice president. <laughs>
3: President, your prisoner has arrived in Richmond and He is preparing is. to defend himself against the charge of
1: treason you've brought against him. I read the evening papers, James. The Federalists have raised a great hue and cry that I am persecuting an innocent man. The
3: former Vice President contends that his only purpose in the West was to lead a colony of settlers to a tract of land he had purchased in Louisiana. Well, he'll have a chance to prove that in court. I have here the list of his lawyers. They'll be of great interest to
1: you. List of lawyers?
3: He has four. Oh, who are they? Four of the country's most brilliant lawyers, chosen shrewdly, Luther Martin. Mm, A brilliant
1: man, unquestionably, and one that has hated me for years. Also one greatly enamored of the beautiful daughter of the accused. Well, well, and who are the others? Edmund Randolph. Another died in the wool Federalist and another political enemy. So are the other two, John Wickham Benjamin Butts. Well, all four of them will really be out for my blood in this trial, for their own personal reasons as well as for their clients. I shall use the United States attorney and he can retain two assistants of his own selection. Do you know who is to preside at the trial? No, I haven't heard that yet. John Marshall. John Marshall. Mm, that really does make a Federalist landslide. He likes me just about as much as the attorneys you just named. It's going to be a good fight, isn't it? Yes, sir. It's going to be a very interesting fight. It sounds like someone has really stacked the cards against the President of the United States.
0: Your Honor, the defense intends to show that by the tyrannical orders of the president, ordering the arrest of the defendant, the life and property of an innocent man were to be exposed to destruction. We intend to show that the orders to apprehend the defendant were contrary to the Constitution and the law and gave him every right to resist them. Your Honor, I object.
5: If the defendant is permitted to judge whether he will obey or resist the orders of the president, there is an end of government. I cannot take my seat, sir without expressing my deep and sincere sorrow at the policy which the gentlemen for the defense have thought it necessary to adopt. Do they flatter themselves that this court feels political prejudices which will supply the place of argument and innocence on the part of the prisoner? Their conduct amounts to an insinuation of that sort. The court is concerned at the moment, Mr. Wirt, with whether the prosecution is inspired by personal or political differences. Does the government wish the defendant convicted regardless... Of the merits of the case? I hope, sir, that I misunderstood your apparent meaning. There is considerable difference between the opinions and wishes of the prosecution. In the opinion of the prosecution, the accused is guilty. And this is not at all the same thing as
0: wishing to find him guilty. The defense respectfully suggests that a subpoena be directed to the President of the United States and that he be ordered to appear here.
3: President, do you have the letter ready to go to the court in Richmond?
1: Yes, I have it here. I have pointed out that I'm sure they realize that my duties to the nation, to the nation, make it impossible for me to go there at this time. And I have assured them that, as president of the United States, they can expect the same integrity from me in this matter as is expected from the court. Well, that ought to give them something to
3: think about in Richmond. They had trouble getting a jury. Every man that was brought in seemed to have already
1: made up his mind that the defendant was guilty. I wish that could be prevented. A man is innocent until he is proven guilty. It is the law, and it is a good law.
7: The
5: statement of the jury is that the defendant is not proved guilty under this indictment by any evidence submitted to them they therefore find him not guilty
4: I
0: protest your Honor
4: either I am exonerated or I am not
0: your honor I protest on behalf of the defendant does the jury mean to censure the court and the clerk
5: will change the jury's verdict to read not guilty
4: well mr president congratulations. On what? On your victory. Victory? May I open the windows a moment, sir? Yes, of course.
7: Listen to them. Listen
4: to them. They've been shouting that ever since they saw me come through the streets. The jury found you not guilty. What is the verdict of 12 men against the verdict of a nation? My country is condemned You heard them. Down with Burr the traitor. It has a magnificent ring to it. Hang the traitor. No, my friend, if I could only. What's t- wrong with me? Since I was a boy, I've been in the service of my country. I fought under Washington. I served in the Senate. I was vice president of the United States. I've been a part of this country's growth. I have lived for my country.
1: No, your ambition came
4: first, your country second. Is ambition your word for patriotism? No, but it seems to be yours. It was not ambition. It was something inside me that drove me on, something I had to follow, a flag with 13 stars, a nation on the brink of greatness. And now listen to them. Listen to the word they fling at me. Well, I won't have to listen to it much longer. I'm leaving America. I'm never coming back. They think I've betrayed America. Well, let them. I say America betrayed me. It's too bad that you feel
1: you must leave because I still feel... That you have much to give your country. And I know your country has much to give you.
4: Whatever I might have had to give as long since vanished. Whatever capacity I might have had to accept is gone to. I have nothing but bitterness now. And this is not the land for a man who feels as I do.
1: This is a land where a man can start over at any year of his life. This is a land where a man can live and grow with his nation. This is a land where a mistake is not necessarily the end of a man's career, but sometimes the beginning, if he's wise enough to learn by it. This is a land of promise
4: for all. Mr. President, it was a lucky thing for the country when I lost on that 35th out I thought I knew a lot of things, but until this moment, standing here before you, I never realized... But the big thing was I didn't know. And what was that? Humbleness. Before you can be big, you have to be small. Before you can be a proud figure in the eyes of men, you have to be humble in your own eyes. I have never been humble. And you have never been anything else.
1: Goodbye, Mr. President.
4: Goodbye, sir.
1: And God keep you and bring you one day safely home. Well, you probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment.
2: Do you want to be on the inside of the news? Know the real facts about current headlines and events? Well, you'll know the news inside and outside when you hear Walter Winchell on the air every Sunday night over most of these same ABC stations. From coast to coast, this dynamic commentator with the famous machine gun delivery gives listeners the lowdown on the week's highlight happenings. Winchell not only brings you the news that's currently making history in America, he brings you news that is happening now, today, in Paris, London, Rome, and other leading news capitals of the world. As one of America's leading advocates of democracy, Walter Winchell speaks out, frankly and fearlessly, on the controversial issues of the day. So listen when Walter Winchell reports the news Sunday night over most of these same ABC stations. Now, here again is Edward Arnold.
3: The President, Aaron Burr sailed for England today.
1: I shall always regret his failure. He came so close to magnificence. If that mind could only have been turned to the good of the country, he would have been one of our greatest statesmen. I wonder what history will say of him. They will always wonder whether he was a traitor and whether I was right to bring him to trial as I did. Well, whatever they say of us one thing is certain, I will never forget Aaron Burr and he will never forget Thomas Jefferson. Yes, the president was Thomas Jefferson and it was Aaron Burr whose tragic star began its fall after the duel in which Alexander Hamilton died. Burr left for England and returned some years later, a lonely and bitter man, to spend the remainder of his 80 years in America. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Goodbye.
0: Edward Arnold will soon be seen in the Metro Golden Mayor production Command Decision. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President Thomas Jefferson. Music was composed by Basil Adler.
2: to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.